Welcome to the Cherry Hills Church Podcast. We're in a teaching series called Origin Story, studying the book of Genesis as the foundation of the whole story of the gospel. Thanks for joining us as we learn who God has always been and who we are as part of his story. Well, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to that story. To Genesis chapter 1. It's right in the beginning of the Bible, the first book, if you're not familiar with the Bible. This is a series where you're going to want to have God's Word open in front of you to underline some things or circle some things or take notes and come back to that later. If you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, take that home with you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. As you're making your way to Genesis chapter 1, I want to remind us that last week we began a series called Origin Story, and in this series we're studying the book of Genesis, because if you're following in your notes, Genesis is the origin story of who God is and who we are. There is something deeply meaningful about knowing our origin, knowing our identity, where we came from. I am convinced all of us long to know our origins, who we are, and meaning in life. So I'm excited to dig into chapter one and some of chapter two today. And you just heard the first chapter of Genesis read, and rather than go line by line through the text this morning, I'm going to pull out some important information that we need to know about the creation story, some patterns that we see, some words that are crucial for us to understand. And after we do that, we'll talk about why this is so important for us today. And before we look at some specifics, I want to pull up to a 30,000 foot view and provide some context for what we're about to talk about. And what I want to try to do today is see this creation story through the eyes of the people who first received it about 3,500 years ago. Because the Bible can't mean something to us that it didn't first mean to them. How they understood this story is critical. And one of the first things we need to know about ancient Israelites and ancient civilizations for that matter, and it's going to guide our time together. If you're following in your notes, Genesis is not so concerned with the how, but the who and the why. Genesis seeks to answer who created and why he created more than it seeks to explain how he created. But what we want to do, and I do this as well, is I read Genesis like a modern scientific textbook, and it was never meant to be read that way. So we need to study Genesis the way it was written. And with that in mind, I want to address something right at the top of our time together. It's the first question I usually get asked when we talk about Genesis. And you probably know what this question is. Are the seven days of creation figurative or literal? I don't know. I don't know. Because I don't believe Genesis gives us enough information to come to rock-solid answers about the creation timetable or about whether we should hold a young earth theory or an old earth theory. That, that just wasn't the point of Genesis. 
As we enter this text today and for our time together in this series, I'm going to encourage us to come to this text humbly because there are mature believers, followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters in the faith throughout thousands of years of history who have disagreed over whether Genesis is talking about a literal seven days, 24 hours, or if the word day means some other period of time. What if we could assume the best about each other and that other believers who disagree with us are trying to be faithful to God's word just as you're trying to be faithful to God's word? And let me finish by saying this. It's okay to disagree about this because while it's important, it's not a major doctrine. Like the timetable of creation is not a major doctrine. I've heard the timetable of creation used as a litmus test for whether you're a real Christian or not. That is not true, and that is not fair. And I remember being told that if you do not believe in a literal seven days of 24 hours, the rest of your faith would crumble because that was the foundation of everything. I just don't believe that to be true. God created, but that he created. As followers of Jesus, here's what we agree on. The universe isn't the result of blind random chance. God is the miraculous author and creator of everything. Steve said it last week, in the beginning, God. So we need to know that's how it was written. And then we need to know two other pieces of information that take place before Genesis 1. Because it's going to help our story make more sense today. Because we're going to get into some things that won't make sense if we don't understand what I'm about to say. First, if you're following in your notes, at some point before Genesis 1, God created an unseen realm. This is what we call heaven paradise, eternal life. It's God's domain. I want to put a very simple image on the screen that we're going to build off of today. Before Genesis, we're going to get into this today. We just need to know that there's an unseen realm ruled by God and it existed before Genesis 1. Here's the second thing we need to know. And it'll make sense when we get to verse 2. At some point before Genesis 2, or before Genesis 1, God made the planet we live on. We're going to see this in verse 2. Before Genesis 1, the planet we inhabit was brought into existence by God, and we're not told anything about that in Genesis. There is an initial creation of our planet that Genesis 1 does not tell us about. So knowing all that, we pick up in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. Would you read this with me in the first grade box in your notes? It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God created. He created. Created is a word in Hebrew that's used nearly 50 times in the Old Testament. It's only used with God as the subject. So we're being told here that this is a divine activity. God is the creator. It's a word that means to carve out, to design, to fashion. It means to create something that wasn't there before. And we're told in the beginning, God created, he carved the heavens and the earth. And remember what I just said, God created heaven, an unseen realm before Genesis 1, so that can't be what he created in Genesis 1. 
In the beginning, God created, if you're following in your notes, the heavens and the earth, which literally means the skies and the land. He created the skies and the land. Genesis 1 is about God creating the sky above us and the land below us and a space in between the two for us to inhabit. In the beginning, God created the skies and the land. And then we're told in verse 2 that the earth was formless and empty, right? We we get here where there's an initial creation. There's a planet that is formless and empty. In Hebrew, the the word is tohu wabohu. It's one of my favorite words in Hebrew. We're going to practice some Hebrew this morning. Would you say that with me? Tohu wabohu. Excellent Hebrew. Formless and empty. If you're following in your notes, formless and empty was a common expression for a place that is disordered, uninhabitable, uninhabited. It can also mean nothingness, no order, and no purpose. The words convey the meaning that the earth is described as a not yet functioning ordered system. It's the very opposite of what earth would be like after the six days of creation. I love how one author wrote that when God repeatedly says, it is good, it is good, it is good, you heard Monique say that, it's like God saying it is now functioning properly. It's now functioning properly. And verse 2 goes on to tell us that above the formless and empty darkness, above the waters, it was like a water planet, the abyss, was the Spirit of God. Last week, Steve talked about the Trinity at creation, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here we see the Spirit of God hovering above the waters. If you're following in your notes, the Spirit of God hovers over the waters and begins to bring order from chaos. This word hovering is used only one other time in the entire Old Testament. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 32, 11, when Moses describes an eagle that stirs up its nest and flutters over its young. That is the picture of the spirit of God hovering over the waters. The word spirit in Hebrew means breath. And on day one, God's breath comes forth as speech. God creates through speaking. We read in chapter one, eight times, and God said. God never creates without speaking. If you're following in your notes, God creates everything through the power of his word. His word still has power. God creates through speaking, and his first words are, help me out here, let there be light. Now, I want to point something out to us, probably because it bugged me for a couple weeks. And then I was blown away with how the Bible is one story. God says, let there be light on day one, and then the sun isn't created until day four. Did you catch that? So there's light for three days that shines from a source other than the sun. And right there, if you want to read this scientifically, you're going to say, there it is. That's why I can't believe the Bible. It's inaccurate. But that's not how Genesis 1 was meant to be read. Genesis 1 is not a scientific account of creation. It answers the who and the why more than it answers the how. 
And I love the continuity of the Bible. If you go to Revelation 22, the last book and last chapter of the Bible, we are given a glimpse of the recreated world at the end of time. And we're told in Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5, that the Garden of Eden is restored as a garden city. And then we're given this picture. You can follow along on the screen. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve them. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And then catch this. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The Bible begins with light and no sun, and it ends the same way. Because the light is provided by God's presence. Genesis is telling us God is here. He is present. Before any material creation took place, God was present. And when the world is created, recreated, God will be present. And as we continue to move through the six days of creation, there are several patterns that emerge beginning in verse 3 through the end of the chapter. The six days of creation are perfectly divided so that the first three days describe the forming of the earth and the last three days describe its filling. If you are following in your notes, God created the world with the pattern of forming and filling. This goes right along with the statement that the earth was formless and empty. The earth's formlessness is remedied by its forming in days one to three, and its emptiness is remedied by its filling in days four to six. There's a correspondence we see in these days as well. Let me put a chart on the screen for you. You can also find this on the back of your notes if you want to take uh, any notes here. On day one, God created light. On day four, there's a corresponding sun and moon and stars. On day two, God created the expanse that he called sky, separating the waters above from the waters below. And on the parallel day five, God filled the sky and waters with birds and fish. On day three, God separated the water and dry land and created vegetation. On the matching day six, God filled the land with animal life and created man and woman to rule over it. Genesis tells us that the one true, all-powerful creator God brought order out of chaos, and he did it by forming and filling the earth. Genesis 1 answers the who. Now, let's jump to chapter 2. And we're going to get another picture of creation. And you might be wondering, are there two creation stories? Yes and no. The reason they look a little bit different is because they have different literary structures, right? They're, they're written by the same person. Moses wrote them both, so he knows what he's doing. Genesis 1 is the poetic, artistic rendering of creation. Some call it the song of creation. I love that. And Genesis 2 is more like an essay and history, a detailed description. They're the same story, but they're written differently. Genesis 1 answers the who. Genesis 2 answers the why. We'll pick up in chapter 2, verse 4. You can follow on the screen or in your Bibles. I'll invite you to read when we get to verse 8. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth, the skies and the land, when they were created, 
when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Would you read verse 8 with me in that gray box? It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Let me finish in verse 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So let's go back to our image again. Before Genesis 1, God created an unseen realm, heaven, his domain. In Genesis 1, then, we see God creating our domain, which is earth. And then in chapter 2, verse 8, for the first time, we're told about a garden named Eden where heaven and earth overlap. Interestingly, Eden means paradise. And in this paradise, there's no sin and no death. In Eden, God dwelled in perfect relationship with Adam and Eve. And this begins the theme that we see throughout the entire Bible, that God created people so he could be in relationship with them, to dwell with them. If you're following in your notes, the Garden of Eden is where heaven and earth overlapped. The unseen and the seen realm. Now, now I want to invite you to think of one more image. I know we've had some images on the screen, but I want to invite you to think of the image of a temple with me. The image of a, a temple. In most creation stories that existed in the ancient world, the story always ended with the creation of a temple where the little g God could dwell. But as the one true God completed the creation of the world, God didn't build a temple. Instead, he planted a garden. And Jeff is going to talk a lot more about this next week, that we are created in the image of God. But for today, I want us to know this. Inside every pagan temple, you would find a statue of the God that temple was built to honor. And these statues were considered physical embodiments of the God's presence and authority in the land, and they were called idols or images. And instead of setting a statue in the garden temple, God created living, breathing humans to be the figures that represented his rule. If you're following in your notes, the garden was God's temple where he dwelled with people. Genesis 2 gives us a picture of God's domain and humanity's domain overlapping heaven on earth. And I want to finish talking about Genesis 2 today with verses 15 to 17, because up until this point in the story, God's been the one defining what is good, right? He does it repeatedly in Genesis 1. It's good, it's good, it's good. But then in verses 15 to 17, God gives us a warning. 
You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. God says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. We're going to talk a lot more about this in the weeks to come. But in this warning about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, evil, God is warning us against improperly seizing his authority, right? Humans had the authority to rule over God's creation. They were not God with the ability to determine good and evil. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but here's a quick spoiler if you haven't read it yet. Quickly after creation, Adam and Eve do eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Humans rebel against their maker, deciding they want a domain where they can decide what's good and evil on their own terms. And in that moment, if you're following in your notes, in our rebellion, our sin, heaven and earth was ripped apart. And this image on the screen represents where we are today. In our sin and our rebellion, heaven and earth was ripped apart. And the reason this is so important to understand, and the reason I wanted to include this when speaking about Genesis 1 and 2, is because the story of the Bible is the story of heaven on earth being ripped into heaven and earth, followed by God's glorious mission to reunite these two domains once again. And it's accomplished through Jesus. In fact, if you're following in your notes, in Jesus, we see heaven and earth overlap. Chuck mentioned that when we sang together. In Jesus, we see heaven and earth overlap. The Apostle Paul tells us about this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. You can see it on the screen. The Apostle Paul writes, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Throughout Jesus' life, we see glimpses of heaven on earth. We see this when Jesus heals people of sickness. We see it when Jesus frees someone of a demonic spirit. We see it when Jesus forgives people of their sin. We see glimpses of the way God created things to be in Eden. We see the overlap in Jesus. And in addition to seeing heaven on earth in Jesus' life, the unity of heaven and earth was the purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection. If you're following in your notes, the purpose of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was to bring all things to unity in heaven and on earth under his authority. In Ephesians... The book of Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul also in chapter 1, verses 7 to 10. We can read this on the screen. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And then church, would you read this with me? To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. There is now separation, but there is a day coming when Jesus restores heaven on earth. This idea of the union of heaven and earth is carried to the end of the story of the Bible. When Jesus returns to completely destroy evil and sin and death, he will reunite heaven and earth. If we go to the last book of the Bible again, Revelation in chapter 21, verses 3 to 5, I'm going to invite you to read verse 5 in just a moment. We read this in Revelation 21. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And then would you read verse five with me on your notes? It says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. In verse five, we see Jesus speaking and we know there's power in his word. And the word for making in that verse is the same word found in Genesis 1.1. I am creating everything new. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project says this. I love this. He says, the final image in the Bible is an act of recreation. Heaven and earth made new and unified once more. This final image is of Jesus bringing together all of creation into a new wholeness and fulfilling God's ultimate purpose for creation and humanity to be one. If you're following in your notes, to take some of Tim Mackey's words, the final image in the Bible is an act of recreation. Heaven and earth made new and unified once more. I don't know about you, friends, but that's a story worth living for. Genesis is the origin story of God's great story to dwell with his people. And it's our origin story because we're part of the story, because God wants us to be part of the story. And so as we close, I just want to remind us of two critical truths of our origin story. One, if you're following in your notes, you were created by God. You and everyone you have ever met is created in the image of God. You are not here by chance. You are not an accident. You are not an afterthought. God created you with a specific purpose for your life. In all of history, there will never be another person like you. The Bible tells us that we are God's workmanship. He crafted us with his own hands. And what this means is that your life and every life has incredible value and worth. This is why we partner with organizations like First Step Pregnancy Center to help expecting moms choose life because we believe all life is created by God. God is the author of life. 
And if you are here or you're watching online, and if you, if you ever question whether you matter, you matter so much. And if you ever get to a place where you feel like you don't matter, that your life has no purpose or meaning, or it wouldn't matter if you existed anymore, would you please talk to us about that? Because sometimes we all need to be reminded of what is true and beautiful and good, that you were created by God. And the second truth of our origin story that we need to understand, if you're following in your notes, you were created for a relationship with God. You were created by God and you were created for a relationship with God. And I just need to ask you, do you believe that? Like, do you believe that the God who created everything wants a relationship with you? Do you believe that the God who spoke the universe into existence loves you? And he not only loves you, he likes you. Like, we're told in Zephaniah chapter 317 that the Lord rejoices over you with singing. Psalm 1819 says that God rescued you because he was pleased with you and delighted in you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, my prayer for you today is that you know he wants a relationship with you. There's nothing you have done in your past that can change that. Today can be the day you recognize for the first time who created you and why you were created. And your life can take on a whole new purpose and meaning as you live in relationship with the one who created you. And for those of us who call our follower, ourselves followers of Jesus, I want to share two verses with you. And I'm praying these are so compelling that they, they push us forward to live with Jesus. The first is the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus says, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home, our dwelling with each of them. And then there's this amazing verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, that says this, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. As followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit who hovered over the waters at creation and brought order out of chaos, and the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. We are temples of the living God and his representatives on earth, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. And I will contend, I, I will so contend, that as we live as his image bearers today, we will see glimpses of heaven on earth. When someone makes a decision to follow Jesus in baptism, the kingdom breaks in. When someone is healed from sickness, the kingdom breaks in. When someone is obedient to Jesus, even when life is difficult and doesn't seem fair, and when you're not healed of sickness, the kingdom breaks in. When someone experiences the power of the Holy Spirit and is freed from the bondage of addiction or demonic forces, the kingdom breaks in. When someone offers a cold cup of water and food in the name of Jesus to those who are underprivileged, the kingdom breaks in. When we, when we serve out of an act of kindness or a spoken word that builds others up, the kingdom breaks in. When we live as followers of Jesus who live the way of Jesus, 
the kingdom breaks in. We see glimpses of heaven on earth today. And we pray, our staff gathers every Thursday morning. One of the consistent prayers is that we would see God's kingdom come in greater measure. How amazing, church, that our lives can be places where heaven and earth overlap again. You were created by God and you were created to be in a relationship with him. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you know your origin story? Because knowing your origin and believing it will shape the trajectory of your life today and into eternity. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you that you are the creator of everything and you created us to be in a relationship with you. Thank you for your word, the Bible that has given us everything we need to know who you are and who we are. God, if there's anybody here who is not a follower of Jesus yet, I pray right now, right here, you would reveal yourself to them, that they would know that you created them and you created them because you want a relationship with them. Today might be the first day of a new beginning. And God, would you remind us, those who follow Jesus, that you want to partner with us, that we are your representatives, that our lives matter, that how we live matters, that how we live, how we live impacts heaven on earth. So God, teach us teach us to make our days count. God, help us live with you. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed and said, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like more info on our church, you can visit our website or find us on Facebook.